I want to begin tonight with a quote from one of my favorite guys. If you've been around very long, you know I quote this guy often. His name's John MacArthur. Probably the best expositor of the Bible in the world. Um, probably has no peer in that regard. One night, uh, preaching to his rather large congregation, they had a few more than we have here tonight. He, had, he has about four or 5,000, I think, that show up on a Sunday. But he said this to them, not one person in this place has a secular job. You understand that, don't you? You do not have a secular job. All you have is a mission field. That's all you have. You don't have a secular job. You have a spiritual calling. And your calling is to reach the people where God has placed you. We will come back to that in just a minute. I want to tell you a true story. It was reported by Michael Card in a Christian periodical about a Maasai warrior known by the English name of Joseph. Joseph was on a journey away from his village and he met a Christian. That Christian shared the Gospel with him and he was radically converted. He couldn't wait to get back to his tribe to, to share uh, the good news of the Gospel. So as he arrived back in his tribe, he began to go door to door and share the truth. And he was shocked to discover that nobody he was sharing the Gospel with was excited like he was excited. Not only were they not excited, they became hostile. A group of them, the men grabbed him and they held him down and the women beat him with uh, strands of barbed wire. And they dragged him out into the bush and left him. He was able to make it to a watering hole and he recuperated for a few days. And he decided, I must have said something wrong. I must have left something out. So he rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it. And he went back in. Same thing happened. They beat him. Drug him out. Left him in the bush. He got up the third time. After several days, he got up the third time. And he went back in. And the same thing happened. But what he remembered before he passed out was that he noticed the women began to weep. The women who were beating him began to weep. And when he came to several days later in his own bed, the, uh, the women were there nursing him. So, I want, you to, I want you to remember that story. I want you to remember MacArthur's quote and I want you to remember this story about Joseph and his witness to his mission field. And we'll come back to both of those things in just a minute. Some deep-thinking Christian somewhere said this, through Christ's sufferings, propitiation was accomplished. Who knows what propitiation means? Okay, you're supposed to know this word. Uh, we'll talk more about it. Through the Christian suffering, propagation is accomplished. Okay, I'm going to read it again. Through Christ's suffering, propitiation was accomplished. Through the Christian suffering, propagation is accomplished. Through Christ's sufferings, we are reconciled to God. Propitiation technically means the removal of God's wrath from us through what Jesus did. Through the Christian suffering, the gospel is made known in the world. Okay? There's a purpose. When Christians suffer, it's not for no reason. It's not a coincidence. It's not bad luck. God has a design in it when the Christian 
suffers in the world. You might have heard it in the text as Quasi read, verse 21 reads like this, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow. We are called for this purpose. Of course, we don't desire to suffer. We don't go looking for uh, a place to suffer. We don't try to orchestrate suffering. But if we're biblically literate, we understand it's part of the deal. It comes with the territory. If we're actually going to go with Jesus, if we're actually going to do what Jesus says, suffering comes. Suffering comes. It's what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It's not if you'll be persecuted, it's when you'll be persecuted. This is a biblical truth. Christians aren't supposed to be surprised when persecution comes. We're supposed to be ready when persecution comes. We're supposed to be expecting it. It will come. If we actually live out the words of Christ. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 2 Timothy 3 through 12, uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Listen to how he paraphrases it. Anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. <laughs> I love that paraphrase. If you really want to go with Jesus, you're in for a lot of trouble. To one degree or another, depending on where you live and what your orbit is. He says, there's no getting around it. Uh, on Thursday nights, the young adults were uh, studying through Francis Chan's book entitled Crazy Love. It's really a lot of fun. We've been enjoying it. We hit chapter 4 this week. Profiles of a lukewarm Christian. Don't read that chapter unless you want to be convicted. Right? Just don't read it. It's, too, it's really a strong chapter. I personally am loving it. Chan writes, Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they, when they are in conflict. They care more about what people think of their actions than what God thinks of their lives. In other words, when it gets hard, the lukewarm Christian takes the course of least resistance. Instead of taking the stand, they take the course of least resistance. Chan talks a lot in his book so far, in the first four chapters, he's talked a lot about the, the professing Christian who just wants to do the minimum. I want to be a Christian, but I just want to do the minimum. I just want to check my Christian box, but I don't want to really be uncomfortable. I don't want to take any risk for God. I don't really want to radically obey Jesus. I just want to do the minimum. What's the minimum? Someone tell me what the minimum is. This is why there are so many denominations. Everybody's got a different minimum. Everybody's got their own little formula. Do these five things, you're in. Do these two things, you're in. That's <laughs> why there's so many denominations, man. Everybody's got a different formula. Everybody's got a different formula. Chan talks a lot about, about this, and it made me think of the, the word a minimalist Christian. You know, in my 30 years as a Christian, I've met many minimalist Christians. But you have to understand that a minimalist Christian is the perfect definition of an oxymoron. Someone tell me what an oxymoron is. It's a combination of contradictory words. A minimalist Christian is no Christian at all. Okay? If we actually read our Bibles, we will understand that. A minimalist Christian is only playing religion with God. He's not truly walking with Christ. So I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2. As we've noted the last several weeks, just by way of review, the uh, chapter, pardon me, verses 11 through 20 of chapter 2 
they flesh out what verse 9 is supposed to look like in your life and in my life. How a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a peculiar people of God are supposed to live in an everyday kind of way. Very practical ways. Two weeks ago we saw in verses 11 and 12 that Peter reminded us that we are aliens. We are called to live an excellent alien life. People are supposed to know we're alien. We're supposed to smell different and talk different and act different and live different. People are supposed to know that we belong to Christ. Not in some superficial religious way, but I actually love this God and I've given my life to this God. And I'm going to go with this God in that kind of way. We're supposed to be aliens. Last week we saw verses 13 to 17. Peter reminded us that we are also to be model citizens. We're supposed to submit to all earthly authority, every human institutions. And we've been making the point when we live like this, when we live our excellent alien lives, and when we live as model citizens, we are impacting the two most urgently important problems in, in the world. And those two problems are someone, does anyone remember? What? God is profaned and men are perishing. Very good on your last night, Quasi. I give you an A. Your last night. The most pressing problems in the cosmos are God is profaned in the world. Jesus Christ, let's be specific. Jesus Christ is profaned in this world. The world He spoke into existence. Jesus Christ is profaned and men are perishing. In our excellent alien model citizen lives, Jesus is to be glorified, and through our excellent citizen, pardon me, excellent alien model, model citizen lives, men are drawn to Jesus. So, thus far we've seen that as God's chosen race, as His royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, we are to live as aliens, and we are to live as model citizens. Tonight, in verses 18 to 21, God is going to add to our job description. God reminds us that all, we are also to be servants in this world. Servants in the world. You are to be a servant in the world. And always submissive, even if you suffer unjustly. We are to be servants in the world. You heard the text read. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when, he, when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. The Greek word translated servant, I noticed when Quasi read, his translation said slave. The, the literal meaning here is household slave. That's the, the literal meaning. But God is not simply talking to the first century slave. He's talking to the 21st century employee. Or anyone under whom you are, well, anyone that you're under their authority. But the parallel is perfect with respect to the first century slave in the 21st century employee. God, what God is saying applies to both of those relationships. Yes, they differ greatly. Of course they differ greatly. But the principles apply. I know 
that uh, this doesn't really resonate with the modern culture where almost everyone is more concerned about their rights rather than their obligations. I understand that. But again, that's why we come here and that's why we open our Bibles during Bible study to see what God says, not what the culture has to say to us. Uh, most evenings, Karen and I, we, we like to watch the news in the States over the Internet. So we'll, we'll sit there and we'll watch some of the news. It seems like every second or third story is about someone's rights. Someone is asserting their rights. Someone's lost their rights. Someone's rights have been abused. It's true in the American media. Jesus is, is almost virtually ignored. But what is sacred in America is that everybody's got rights and they want to exercise them. That's what's sacred in America today. It's not Jesus, by and large, in the, in the culture at large. It's that I have my rights and I am going to assert them. That's what's sacred in America today. To listen to the American media. I'm an American, so I can, I can talk freely. <laughs> we have tons of rights. And we demand to have our rights. And if you don't give us our rights, we're going to make it hard on you. This is the sense, as I listen to the stories over and over and over. It's not only that we have our rights, you also hear a whole lot about many feeling as if they're victims of one kind or another. Americans want their rights and they've been victimized. I want my rights and I want to be compensated for my mental distress. America, I don't know if it's the most litigious nation in the world, but everybody sues everybody. Just trying to make some cash, right? And I, again, I'm talking universally, and I know I'm overstating the case. But I'm trying to give you some sense of at least where my culture seems to be going. The mantra of the United States of America is, I want my rights, and I'll sue you. I'll sue you tomorrow. That's, that seems to be the drift of the culture. But God has called His people to be not so concerned about their rights and ill treatment, but be concerned about their God-ordained obligations. This is what God calls us to do. Our chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, alien model citizen, submissive servant obligations. As a Christian, you are God's servant. And as a Christian, He expects you to do what He says. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters in all respects, even if you're treated unjustly. I know that's hard. I told you last week that this week was going to be harder than last week. It's hard to submit, isn't it? Someone, just tell me. It's hard to submit when you're treated unjustly. You simply don't want to do it. God says, my people do it. My people do it. Our lives are not about asserting rights or getting compensated for emotional distress. Our lives are about Jesus. And we do the thing that makes Him look great. We do the thing that makes Him look sufficient. We do the thing that makes Him look valuable. That's what we do. That's what we do. He satisfies me so much, I don't care about my rights. 
He satisfies my soul so much, I don't care if I'm a victim. Jesus is my God. He fills me up, beloved. This is what God is saying to us. And God is seen to be beautiful and desirable when His people live like this. When His people can forgive or forgo their rights. They don't stand and demand their rights. They are submissive servants. Submissive servants. As God says, this is another way that I'll be conspicuous in your life because no man on the face of the earth live like this. Nobody lives like this. This is not the creed of any nation, tongue, or tribe that I'll, sub I'll submit humbly under unjust treatment. No man lives like this. Jesus says my people do. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard, I'm telling you. None of you feel like doing that. I know I certainly don't feel like doing that when I'm treated unjustly. But this is what God has called us to. He says, be submissive to your earthly masters even when uh, to those who are unreasonable. Even when bearing up under sorrows and suffering unjustly. Even when you suffer for doing what is right. Submit to your earthly masters. This is a supernatural thing. Some of you have either, either experienced this or you're thinking to an experience that you had. This is a supernatural thing. I mean, we, when, when someone hurts us, it just wells up in us that we're going to pay back, right? Doesn't it well up? I'm going to pay back. I'm going to get back. It's part of, the, part of the flesh of man. God says, my people don't pay back. My people glorify my name. My people don't pay back. My people share the gospel. This is a hard call, beloved. This is a hard call. But this is what we're called to. This is how God saves His people as His people live like this. This is how a chosen race lives. This is how a royal priesthood lives. This is how a holy nation lives. This is how a peculiar people for God's own possession live. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Yeah, we have rights, but this is more important. Amen? Yeah, we might be victimized, but this is bigger. This is bigger. I love, I just loved when I saw this quote this week in my studies. Man, John Piper says it perfectly. This is not a rule to be kept. This is a miracle to experience. This is not a rule you can keep. It's not a religious rule you can do. No rule is that strong. To suppress the anger in me when someone unjustly treats me. No rule, can, no rule can do that. It is a miracle. It's not a rule. You can't keep it and I can't keep it. But here's what we can do. We can be... We can be knowledgeable about what God says and we can be prepared when the, when the unjust treatment comes, we're ready. We know it's coming. We, first, we know it's coming. And when it comes, we can be ready. And we humbly submit. For the glory of Jesus and for the salvation of sinners. It's about letting the third member of the Trinity have His way in your heart and in your life. 
That's what it's about. It's not about getting even. It's not about payback. That doesn't matter. Forget that. God says, that doesn't matter. God says, I'll get payback. What does the Scripture say? Don't take vengeance. Leave it to whom? God. Who judges perfectly. Vengeance is not ours to take. That belongs to God. And we leave it with God. Peter says it twice here in the text. Verse 19, this finds favor implied with God. Verse 20, this finds favor with God. There in verse 19 it says, this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God we bear up. Simply it means we take God into account. When the insult comes, when the hurt comes, when the abuse comes, when the offense comes, we take God into account before we you know, fire off. Before we go off on the person who's offended us, we take God into account. We remember what God says. We remember that what He says matters more than payback. It matters more than payback. God is pleased when His people submit to their earthly masters. Even when they're treated unjustly, this pleases God. Of course, this application, this can be applied in all relationships, not merely an employee kind of relationship. We need to practice this with our spouses and our children and our colleagues and our friends and our neighbors, our church members, uh, our fellow students and strangers, total strangers. We're, we're to practice this kind of, of principle. As lovers and followers of Jesus, we do not pay back. We do not pay back. We do not take vengeance. We do not return evil for evil, right? What does the Bible say? We're to return good. We're to return good for evil. And it's hard. It's like, I don't know about you, but there's this thing that wells up in me and I get so angry and I want payback. God says, man, that, there's no profit in that. But there's profit in submitting as one of my people. To paraphrase John Piper, and I love this too. <laughs> I love this. You're going to love this. I'm pretty sure. He says, we take God more seriously than we take the offense. Don't you love that? We take God more seriously than we take the offense. I absolutely love that. So remember that the next time you're hurt or offended by your boss, by your spouse, by your colleague, by your fellow student, by your friend, by your neighbor, by your church, fellow church member, by some stranger. This is what God calls us to, beloved. To paraphrase me, remember to love God more than you love taking retribution. Remember to love God more than the cutting response. Remember to love God more than putting on a pout. Love God more. Don't you love this? Isn't this great? I love this. It's, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying I love it. God is serious with us tonight, beloved. This is how He means for us to live. It finds favor with God when you love Him more than retaliation. It finds favor with God when you love His Word more than you love payback. And listen to His Word. <laughs> this is not a, these are not rules to keep. This is a miracle to live. 
God's calling you to be a living miracle. Listen to Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 38-41. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go two. Nobody in this room. And if you tell me that's how you naturally feel, I, I won't believe you. None of us naturally feel like that. But this is what God's calling us to. This is, what Christ, this is how Christians live. Jesus again, Matthew 5, 43-45. You have heard it, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus again, Luke 6.35 But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Listen, do you want a heavenly reward from your heavenly Father or do you want payback? What do you want? What sounds like a better deal to you? Payback? Or the reward that God has prepared for His people? Which one sounds better? Tell me. Which one sounds better to you? <laughs> I know which one's better. I just got to keep my mouth shut. Right? I just gotta, it's like I told you last week. If you have to, if the only thing you can do to honor men who are not honorable, just keep your mouth shut. If that's the best you can do. Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance. It's part of the excellent alien life that we've been talking about. When we live in this supernatural way, you know, when, when we live this miracle out, God is seen. God is seen. Jesus is glorified and men are drawn to Him. These are the two preeminent reasons that we are still on the planet. I just want to say as a sidebar here, uh, I hear this argument. I hear, I hear critics of Christianity um, making the argument that, that it's uh, indefensible that God does not condemn slavery in the Bible. And I, the only reason I share this with you is because you'll hear this argument at some point. Someone will raise this issue with you and say, it's absolutely indefensible that your God does not condemn slavery anywhere in Scripture. If we read our Bibles, we understand that while God condemned the mistreatment of slavery, and in the, the Jewish culture, he actually set years where slaves were to be released. I want you to hear me. God is not a social reformer. God did not come for social reform. God did not come for civil rights. What God came to do is infinitely greater than that. Now men can critique God if they want, that's their prerogative. But beloved, I think we need to help them understand that God's primary purpose is not social reform. His primary purpose is the salvation of souls. 
That is his primary purpose. Of course, you must always remember slavery is man's idea. Men enslave men. Men do this. Men thought this up. This is what men do. It's not God's idea. It is interesting, and I hear this often, and I know you do too, that men love to indict God for their own sins. <laughs> Slavery is our sin. But men love to indict God as if it was His idea, it was our idea. We did it. Humanity did it. So I want to make sure you hear me. God is not a social reformer. Jesus did not come in the flesh to immediately set all the evils of the world right. And Peter and Paul's mission was not to advocate for civil rights and social justice. Their mission was infinitely larger than that. God's purpose transcends social justice and civil rights. It's infinitely larger. God is saving a people for Himself. God is redeeming a, a people for His name. God is saving people from hell. That's what God is about. That's what God... And one day He will come and He'll set all things right. But in the meantime, you submit humbly to your Master. You submit humbly to your employer, to anyone who has authority over you. You submit humbly. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. I think it helps us to understand why we should not be overly concerned with our rights when we're wronged. Because we see how God is, God is focused on the most important thing. And the most important thing is not retribution or reprisal. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to bring glory to Christ and to draw men to Him. We're not on this planet to assert our rights or to be compensated for mental distress when we're victimized. We're here to, be, uh, to live that excellent alien life in order to impact those two most pressing problems that we've continually talked about for the last several weeks, that Jesus is profaned and men are perishing. These two problems are bigger than civil rights, social reform, and the unjust suffering of a slave at the hands of a master or an employee at the hands of an employer. Our lives are about something infinitely more important than these things. Infinitely more important than civil rights and social reform. We understand why God has left us on this planet. Why has God left us on this planet? You guys know the Great Commission. He's left us on this planet to make disciples. That's, that's why your mission field is where you work. <laughs> or where you go to school. Or in your home. That's your mission field. And you're to make disciples. It doesn't matter what you do. You're a disciple maker. You're an evangelist. You share the Gospel. And if you're mistreated in that realm... We react in such a way that Christ is glorified. And men can see the reality of Christ in us. Christ, our, the hope of glory. He's real in our lives. Yes, you can abuse me. And I will not pay back. I'll share the Gospel with you. But I will not pay back. I will not. Listen, just get it in your head right now. 
I'm not going to pay back with my spouse, my employer, my friends, my, my colleague, my fellow students. I'm not paying back anymore. I love God more than that. That's what it's about, beloved. That's what it's about. Yeah, I got really convicted. <laughs> I've been really convicted the last couple of three weeks. Man, I'm, I'm ready to get out of First Peter. It's too hard. I'm just teasing. I love it when God, when God just pushes me up against the wall, right? I do love it because I know that He is changing me. So back to MacArthur's quote. I'm going to read it to you one more time. There's not one person in this place that has a secular job. None of you have a secular job. It doesn't matter if you're a homemaker or a caregiver, an engineer, a teacher. It doesn't, a, it doesn't matter. That's not a secular. That's not a secular function. It's not a secular occupation. Is what MacArthur's saying. He's absolutely right. Biblically right. You do not have a secular job. All you have is a mission field. That's all you have. You're a missionary in a mission field. Do you see yourself like this? This is how you're supposed to see yourself. You are a missionary in a mission field. Don't be overly concerned about your rights. And if you're victimized, don't file suit. Rather be defrauded, as Paul says to the Corinthians, than to go to court. MacArthur says, all you have is a mission field. You do not have a secular job. You have a spiritual calling. And your calling is to reach the people where God has placed you. Beloved, that's our spiritual calling. I hope you see your vocation that way. That's how God sees your vocation. That's how God sees what you do every day. You say, well, Jim, I'm a student. I'm off the hook here. No, you're not. Your job is being a student. And your job is to bring glory to Jesus Christ as, as, be, you know, as you be a student and draw men to Him as you study. If it's true that our vocation is a spiritual calling and our place of employment, our mission field, then our purpose there is obvious. It's bigger than an unreasonable boss or an unreasonable friend or an unreasonable professor. And it's more important than suffering unjustly at the hands of our superiors. And that brings me back to Joseph, the Maasai warrior. His mission field was his tribe. Just like your mission field is where you work or in your home or at your school or in your neighborhood. <coughs> Most of us will never suffer to the degree that Joseph suffered in answering his spiritual call and working in his mission field. But his, his experience perfectly illustrates the point of our text. Sometimes we will suffer in our mission field whether it's where you work or where you go to school or in your home. Sometimes you will suffer in your mission field. And when the suffering comes, you will submit. You will love God more than you'll love payback. <laughs> you'll love God more than you'll love the, the cutting remark or rebuke. You'll love God more than that. 
So whether our mission field is the home, the work, or at school, or on the other side of the planet in some Stone Age village, we are to magnify God by obeying His Word here. Sometimes we will suffer unjustly, but God says, endure it, for this finds favor with me. And I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. This is not a rule. You, this is not a rule you can keep. It's not a rule you can keep. It's, it's, it's a truth you have to hide in your heart. And when the unjust treatment comes, when the hurt comes, when the offense comes, when the attack comes, you're ready. It's in your heart. You're ready to submit. And to love God more than payback. I love God more than getting even. God's more important than the offense, right? God is more important than the offense. So beloved, God is calling us tonight to live a miracle. This is, this is supernatural. This is miraculous. No man will ever do this in his own flesh. Only a man who's in love with Christ, only a man who is satisfied in Christ, he doesn't need payback. All I need is Jesus. All I need is to do simple obedience in this moment. I know it's hard. That's why you've got to be ready before the moment comes. <laughs> you've got to be ready. You've got to be prayed up. You've got to be ready. Because the offense will come. You need to be ready to honor God in it. Servants, verse 18, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose. Christians don't suffer by accident, Christians suffer to magnify the sufficiency of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that next week as we pick up in verse 21. Let's pray together. Lord, we can't do this you know we can't do it. We don't even want to do it in our flesh. But we want to do it for You. So Lord, we pray for Your help. We understand this is supernatural. We understand this is not a religious rule that we keep. We understand that we must submit to the third member of the Trinity who indwells us. We must submit our spirit to Him. We must be prayed up. We must be ready when the offense and the hurt or the attack comes. We must be ready because they come unexpectedly. We must be ready to receive the offense and to love You more than payback. So Lord, help us to live this. Help us to live out this miracle. For we know You are glorified 
when we can live such a supernatural life, to be wrong, to be defrauded, to be hurt, to be offended, to be victimized, and not pay back. We don't return evil for evil. You have told us to return good to evil. And the only way we can do that is that You're such an awesome God and You give us all that we need and You satisfy us beyond words. So help us, Lord, we pray. Help us to go out in the world and be wronged for the glory of Christ. I pray that by our lives we would show that we love God more than we love retribution. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen.